Welcome this morning. Good to have you here again. It's an absolute blessing to be speaking to you this morning. When I'm asked to speak, whether here or some other church, while it's... uh, it takes a while to get the message together, lots of reading, lots of researching and praying. Uh, I always am amazed at the blessing the Lord gives me for doing that. So it's a blessing for me to be speaking here this morning. I pray, I pray, I really, I've been praying all week, but I pray that this morning you will be blessed by paying attention to the Lord's word. Not what I have to say, that's really, you know, I'm just a mouthpiece. But what the Lord has, has actually recorded for us here this morning to, to focus on, to think about. We're going to look at another psalm this morning, another psalm written by David. We did that a couple of weeks ago. I was sharing with my wife, and my wife's a great encourager. She really is. Just before I came up, she says, You've got plenty of time this morning. Make sure you, make sure you finish on time. <laughs> Great encouragement. But this morning I was, we were talking about songs, Sunday music, you know. And I, because I've been spending some time, quite a bit of time in the Psalms of, of, of late, I said to her, what's a psalm? Ah. Uh, you know, she didn't know where I was going with this, but anyway, I said, it, it, it's it's a, it's a song, isn't it? They sung these hymns, the, these these psalms, in their so-called church services over in, in in Israel. Can you imagine that? Imagine singing this psalm, anyway. And, and I happened to point out to my wife, what is it that God preserved for us in the psalms? The words. Just the words, not the music. That may seem trivial to you, but I think it's interesting that, that, that God took the time and, and recorded these words for us and for the people of God back then, and he has preserved them. You know, Satan has been attacking the word of God for centuries, almost, almost wiped out the Bible as we know it today, almost. But God was faithful. He preserved it, preserved these words, but not the music. Interesting, isn't it? Because what's important are the words. And I appreciate uh, what you read out of the Believer's Hymn Book. My Believer's Hymn Book was a lot smaller, you know. I don't read it very often because I don't have glasses powerful enough. But words are very important. And God makes stresses that right through the Bible, doesn't he? And in fact, everything, everything will perish at some point, but not the word of God. It will endure forever. Okay, that's just my little uh, deviation from what I was actually going to speak about this morning. Psalm 37 is known as a wisdom psalm. The scholars will tell you it's a wisdom psalm. It's an acrostic psalm. I mentioned that that a couple of weeks ago. An acrostic psalm is, if you don't remember, is a psalm that that, uh, uh, starts every little verse or or stanza or little phrase starts off with a letter of the the Hebrew alphabet. That's why it's a long psalm. 
And, it, and, it's, and it's meant as a teaching psalm. It's not, it's not just so that you feel good. It's supposed to remind you about certain things and, they, and it's very structured and all the rest of it. So it's a teaching psalm. But this morning I'd like to add it into the little category that I made up uh, two weeks ago. I think it's, again, a reflective psalm by David. I love that. I love the way David thinks back, looks at things in hindsight with wisdom of experience and making lots of mistakes. So it's a reflective psalm. We looked at last week, uh, two weeks ago, uh, we said about David that he was a man after God's own heart. When you read about David, that's the term that comes up. And I pointed out to you, and this is really important, that God actually says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. That's the statement that God made about David. It's not our assessment of it. He made that assessment. God made that assessment. And we saw, didn't we, in uh, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, that he was very, very human, just like you and me, very human. He made mistakes. He made errors. He had all sorts of feelings and emotions, some good, some not so good, some disastrous. He, he had highs and he had lows. You know, he, he lived in a cave. He had to hide in a cave, feared for his life in a cave, and he ended up living in a palace in Jerusalem. And he also lived right amongst his enemies, the Philistines. Have a, please, if you get a chance, have a look at David's life again. I know we've sort of looked at it when we were younger, learnt about it in Sundays, but have a read of it again from First Samuel right through to, to Kings. It's, in, it's all in there. Have a read when you get, when you get a chance. The thing I love about David is he's such a practical example of a godly man or woman, a person, you know, a godly person, a very practical example. And it's, and it's, and it's real, you know, it's livable, it's understandable. You have empathy when you read Dave about David. You know, you shake your head and think, oh, David, how could, you, how could you do that? Couldn't you? You really can get a feeling for the man's difficulties and, and, and struggles and his, and his, and his uh, desires. That's what I love about David. And the key to, verse, to, chapter, uh, to Psalm 37 is found in verse 27. This is why I like this verse. And it says there, we read it together, he says, I was young and now I am old. That's why I like this psalm. I was young once. <laughs> I'm getting old. But I love it because it's a testimony of David. This, so he's looking back. He's old now. He's an old man. He lived to around about 80. He was, he was around 40, they say, when he, be, when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. So he's around 80 years of age. Maybe not 80 when he wrote this, but very close. I love old people. Betty, I love you. I love old people, I do. I have learned so much. They have been a blessing to my life, especially old believers. I love the stories they tell. I love, I love the experiences that they share with me. I love it. I have learned so much from old folk. I hope that I can be a blessing to, old, to young folks one day when I, when I become as old as Betty. <laughs> but, but, yeah. <laughs> But, I, but, I, but I, lo- I love this psalm because it's a testimony to a life, to a life that trusts God. 
and you can say that about that about David. You can say that about him. He trusted God. He really did. And as an old man, he had lived, he had experienced, he had endured, he had gained knowledge and wisdom. And here in, in Psalm 37, and I believe in, in all the Psalms that he wrote, he's seeking to pass on to those, pass on all these things to those people that he cared for, the people of God. He loved the people of God. He loved them almost as much as God loved them. You're the people of God. That's why we have the Psalms. And so the advice, the knowledge, the experience, he's passing them on to us this morning. Brothers and sisters, in this psalm, Psalm 37, there are some real pearls and some real gems. We're not going to cover them all this morning, even though I've got plenty of time. There's just not enough time to do it justice. We're going to look at a few things. One of the pearls, the first pearl that you come across is found in verse 1. Here it is. Do not fret. This is what David says, verse 1, Psalm 37. Do not fret. That's uh, deep and insightful, isn't it? Do not fret. Don't fret. He goes on to talk about fretting. He says, it's not good for you. It just leads to evil. What is fretting? What is fretting? Fret, in the dictionary it says, to give oneself up to feelings of irritation, Resentful, discontent, regret, worry. And the origin of the word meant to sort of to burn up, to, to get heated up. Literally it means do not get heated up. It also means, second meaning of the word fret means to cause corrosion and to gnaw away at something. The synonyms of fret are agonise. Anguish, bother, brood, mope, stew, torment. It's important not to fret. David has to bring it to the people of God's attention. Don't fret. He mentions it three times in the first nine verses, verses 1, 7 and 8. It's not good for us to fret. Do you fret? Do you fret? Do you fret about your job? Employment is, is it secure? Do you fret about your partner, your husband, or your wife? Do you fret about, fret about your family, aged parents, young children, teenagers, kids that are going through VCE? Do you fret about your family getting older? Do you fret about your finances? Have you got enough money in your super? Have you? <laughs> worth less than it is today than it was last week. Share market's down. You fret about church. You fret about Monty here. What's happening here? Is it the right church? Are we doing the right... Are you fretting about these things? You're fretting about school. If there's any kids who are going to school, do you fret about that? Whose grade are you going to be in next year? Who's going to be... Oh, we fret about all sorts of things. You fret about the perceptions that people have of you, the way you dress, the way you look. You fret about world events. <laughs> I haven't got enough time to go through some of those. Do you fret about the comments that uh, you come across or maybe are left on your Twitter account or Facebook page? Do you fret about those? 
There's a person here in this, this room this morning who's fretting about lunch. Mm. What about Christmas dinner? And the presents you have to buy. You're fretting about that? There's not many shopping days left. Am I making you anxious? Yeah. What about 2019? We're mm? fretting about what, what that's going to bring for us as individuals. I tend to do that sometimes, fret. I fret about things from time to time. But the blessing of, of the Bible is that it teaches you things. And I've learned from David. I've learned from David to take a different view of things so I don't fret as much or as often. And Psalm 37 gives us a certain aspect of David's life with a certain view of others. And in, and in this uh, psalm, the others are the wicked, the evil, the unsaved. He has a different view of time. You know, we're, we're occupied, we're, we're, we're obsessed with the here and now. And then our wants versus our needs. Our wants are never satisfied, brothers and sisters, never, never. But God satisfies every need. He really does. And David reflects back in this psalm. When I was young and now I'm old, he reflects back and he tells you and me this morning what we need to do. We need to have a long view, a long view of the situation. Look ahead. Look to the future. Brothers and sisters, did you think about eternity this this week? Did you? Did you take a moment and think about glory, about heaven this week? Or were you fretting about all those things that I mentioned or some of those things I mentioned? And David says we need to understand the situation that we find ourselves in, to have the right view of where we are, the here and now. Because what David is saying here is judgment is coming. It's coming to all people, saint and sinner alike. And we need to understand that every situation on this earth, every circumstance on this earth is temporary. It'll change, guaranteed. It could get worse or it could get better. But it's going to change. doesn't matter what it is. Now, I haven't lived as long as David. I've lived a while. That's what I've learnt. I've learnt that five years ago, I wouldn't have been thinking I was in this situation where I am now. Five years from now, who knows? Things change. And, and, and David here gives us some very insightful advice uh, on the common frailty of fretting. We all fret. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't fret, hasn't fret and will not fret. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of them. Evil men, what do they look like? Adolf Hitler, you know, the bloke with a little moustache? Is that, is, that is, is that what we think about? Ivan Milat, down in Tasmania, is that, is that the person that we... Is that the, is that the evil men? What about, what about the wicked? 
You know, in this psalm, the word wicked is, is mentioned 16 times. When David is talking about other people, that's what he calls them, the wicked. What do they look like? Oh, pedophiles, drug dealers, terrorists. That's, that's what they are, Raf. Brothers and sisters, an evildoer. Look it up in the dictionary, the Macquarie Dictionary. That's when I looked. It says, morally wrong or bad, immoral, wicked, harmful, injurious. That's what a wicked person is, uh, an evil person is. So I thought, oh, better look up the word wicked too. So I looked it up. It's an important word. It's 16 times in, the, in this, in this uh, psalm. So the two meanings of wicked is evil or morally bad in principle or practice, sinful, iniquitous, number two, guilty, ungodly, actively bad person. It sort of makes you rethink about who I think is evil. And it says there, don't fret because of evil men or be envious of their wrongdoings. Envious of wicked people? Am I envious of wicked people? Do you know, do you know what, what it's referring to? It's referring to a believer, a person who trusts God, wishing they lived like that person across the road. You're envious of their life instead of the life that God has given you. That's what David is referring to here. And you're anxious. You know, they've got a better car than me. I've just noticed they've got a new security door. My security door's old. And you fret. And you're anxious. And you worry. And they've just gone out. Oh, I wonder where they're going. I was here, here, stuck at home. That's how we live. We have the wrong understanding of evil, of wickedness. We have the wrong idea of, of morality. We really do as a society. We have more of a self-righteous view of these things. It's, it's okay when I do it. If I do it, it's okay. I've got a reason for it, quite justified. But hey, if you do it, if you do the same thing, oh, no, that's wrong. I was trying to think of some examples to give you. And I've thought of a lot of examples, but I may offend people if I do that. Someone in here may be upset if I give you an example because it might be you or you might be doing this thing. So I thought really hard and I thought of one. I thought of one that is okay. It's safe to mention this. Speeding. Speeding. We all do it. Here's a scenario. I'm late for work. My work's important. So 5 to 10k over is okay. I'm late. Work's important. Got to get there. Got to make those coffees, Josh. Yeah? The next day when I'm not running late, I'm, 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 I'm driving at the speed limit, maybe stationary. Look at that maniac! How fast is he driving? Huh? We've all done it. He's driving down the emergency lane. You know, I, I've driven occasionally up the wrong way in the street because I was in a hurry to get to some place. I couldn't wait to get round properly, so we've all done it. Never envy popular or rich people. 
It's temporary, is what David is telling us here. It's temporary, and we've read it through. The people that we, we wish we were like, you know, are the rock stars, the sports stars, the movie stars, the celebrities, the singers, whoever. It's temporary. And we've been going through Ephesians, haven't we? And we, we know we've been called to live a worthy life, a life that's honouring to God. We're called to live differently. And in verse 3, David says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Not your wealth, not your position, not your standing. And he says, Don't look at, at, at. Look up. Look up. Trust in the Lord means looking up. And instead of making a wish list, I wish God would give me this. God, I want this. Instead of that, count your blessings. Count your blessings is what David is is encouraging the people of God here to do. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed. I remind my wife every day, we are blessed not just because we live in Australia, but we're blessed because we belong to God. And if you read through this psalm, when you go home and reread this psalm, have a look at what David is reminding the people of God of the blessings that they have. How could you possibly be envious of the people next door? Unless they're Christians as well. No. Look up, and then David says, look ahead, look ahead. Do you think, do you think David had any regrets? The King David, any regrets? You think so? Absolutely. Of course he did. If only he could have seen the results before he made those decisions, or before he, he took certain actions. Or inaction, if he could have seen the result, if he could have had the hindsight that he has in Psalm 37 at that time, he would, probably wouldn't have done a lot of things that he, he did. And he probably would have done other things when he didn't do what he should have done. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's easy to look back and oh, if I had known then what I know now. A wonderful thing. Foresight is something that most people don't have. Foresight is the ability to predict what will happen or be needed in the future. That's why some politicians are poor leaders. They don't have foresight. We haven't had a good leader in in Australia for many a year. Look out into the world uh, sphere. There's very few great leaders because they don't have foresight. They're worried about the next election. That's as far as they can see. Being re-elected, holding on to power. And foresight, the ability to be able to, to look ahead, look forward and live with that in mind is something David is encouraging the people of God to do in Psalm 37. And I hope it's encouraging you this morning too. More than foresight, we need a term, a thing called far-sightedness. You know what that is? 
it's not a not an eye condition, though it is, though they do call it that. Far sighted is seeing objects at a distance more clearly than those near at hand. That's interesting, isn't it? You can see things way over there clearly, more clearly than you can see in front of you, the close by. And farsightedness, when you look it up in the dictionary, it refers to being wise in foreseeing future developments and seeing things that will need to be done in the light of that. That's farsightedness. And we don't have that, brothers and sisters. There's very few people that have that. God has that. He he knows the beginning from the end. And David is saying here, looking back, if I had to realise those things, and those things that he talks about are facts, things that he knew about, but he just wasn't looking at them in the right way. And if brothers and sisters, if we could look back from heaven, when we get to heaven and we look back, we'll understand. We won't be fretting. We will have forgotten about those things that we were taken up with. And concerned about. We won't be envious of others because we're in heaven and we're looking back. But we're not there yet. You know, the Apostle John, when he was taken up into heaven and he looked at things, he was a changed man. There was another apostle like Paul, the Apostle Paul. When he got a glimpse, he was a changed man. This is what David is saying. Evildoers, the wicked, the unsaved will be no more. They will not be in heaven, brothers and sisters. They will not be with the Lord. They won't be there. So don't fret. Delight in the Lord. Delight means to have a high degree of pleasure, joy, rapture, to take great pleasure. Delight in the Lord. Is another way that you... Minimise fretting. What does that mean to delight? I delight in my grandkids. I really, I love watching them. I love playing with them. I love, I love interacting with them. You know, Shane Warne. I've told you about Shane Warne before. Great leg spin bowler. I was watching him bowl this week. He wasn't bowling in real life. It was a clip. I could watch him all day. I delighted in his bowling. Now, you know, as a person, even he admits in his new biography, he's got some work to do. But he was a great bowler. I delighted in sitting there over after I watched him bowl. Mark Waugh was a cricketer as well, a batsman. Loved watching him bat. Delighted in it. To delight in someone, you have to know them well or spend time with them. How much time have we spent with the Lord this week? Closely. I've mentioned this to my home group in the past. I think it's really sad that at Kurong they sell devotionals for Christians and they're called One Minute Devotional. One minute. That's all you can afford to give the Lord today? One minute? It's sad that we're, we are there. that's where we are. 
That's not far-sightedness, brothers and sisters. It's not. And if you delight in the Lord, it says there in verse 4, He will give you the desires of your heart. I've often said that the Bible's full of conditions. It really is. You can't have salvation unless you believe. And here it says, you can't have the desires of your heart unless you delight in the Lord. So what does that mean? The desires of your heart doesn't mean all your wants. It's referring back to the heart that David had. What sort of heart did he have? A heart that was in tune with God. We talked about a man after my own heart. And we said that the idiom there means after one's own heart describes a person whose hobbies and beliefs, what? What did we say it did? Matched. Not was similar, but matched the other person's. And so when, when, you, when you delight in the Lord, you know, even though I, I, was, a, I was an adult, when Shane Warren came on to bowl, you know, onto the scene, he's a, he's a, few, a few years younger than me, when I was... Uh, bowling to others, you know, in the backyard, I was Shane Warne. I was pretending to be Shane Warne. Love to have been Shane Warne, to be able to bowl like that. I did bowl a little bit of uh, spin bowling. I was no good at it. But that's what it means, to have the same, to be like God, to have the same heart as God. If you have that, you will delight in him and then he will give you the desires that you have in your heart that's in that condition. That's what it means, brothers and sisters. David learnt that. Learnt it the very, very hard way. Verse 5, commit your ways to the Lord. That means to entrust everything, everything to the Lord. Our lives, our families, our jobs, our possession, our church, to his guidance and to his control. That's what it means. We read in Psalm 25 a couple of weeks ago, verses 8 and 9, that God instructs, he guides, he teaches us in his way. You know, all all those words, instruct, guide and teaches, they're they're not forcing you to do anything. You you won't go in, in a particular direction if you don't want to. You can be shown, you can be sort of, Motion to, but you don't have to go. Uh, there are some teachers here in this room. You know that if a child doesn't want to learn, you can't teach them anything. And you know, God knows about commitment. God committed himself to David, promised him he'd be king, made sure that he, he, he survived against his enemies, made him perhaps the greatest king Israel had ever seen. He was a great warrior. He probably gained the most territory for God's people ever. And we see through David's life, God committed to him. And you know, God hasn't just committed himself to David, but he's committed his life to you. God has given everything for you and me. He's made a commitment. I will give you my son. I will make you a son. I will give you an inheritance. 
That's a commitment, promise. And it goes on and David points out to the people of God all the commitments that he has made. Verse 25, can we read that again? I was young and now I'm old and yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. What a commitment that God has given to his people. And David in his testimony says he's never seen that the people of God being forsaken. Has God forsaken you? When? When? I've turned my back on God from time to time. I've rebelled against him. I've ignored him. That he's never forsaken me. Never. I'm not special. Just like you. I'm his child. A parent. No matter how bad the child gets, never forsakes them. That's true, isn't it? And you know, verses 12 to 15 here talks, talks about God laughing at the enemies of his people. He scoffs at them. He scoffs at the wicked who come against us, who, who try to work against the purposes of God and against God's people. He laughs at them. He says, you have no idea who you're up against. He saying, you have no idea what's going to happen to you. The judgment, the eternal damnation, the wailing and gnashing of teeth it talks about in Scripture. That's what happens to the wicked. And finally in verse 7 he says, Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Don't fret. He's emphasising it again, don't fret. Be still and wait. I appreciated the uh, the video this morning, some of the lines in the hymns, very, very relevant to what I've been looking at over the, over the last couple of weeks. You know, waiting and being patient are not our strong points, are they? Not anybody's. I was hoping, I didn't, think, I didn't realise my wife would be here this morning, but I'm going to have to use this example anyway. Someone that I know very, very well is going to have a big birthday soon. I won't be here next weekend. I'm taking my wife away somewhere special, really special. It is killing her. I haven't told her where. She doesn't know what we're doing. It is killing her. She wants to know. She threatened me this morning on a Sunday morning. She threatened me this morning. If I don't tell her, I'm in big trouble. I'm not going to tell her. But that's, we are a now generation. We want things instantly, now. But the people of God are encouraged to be still and to be patient. You know, sometimes, sometimes we miss God's blessings because we're not patient and we're not still. We're not waiting. You know, we, as society today, we don't save up anything. We don't save them our money. We buy everything on credit. We take out huge loans. Verse 21. Have a read of verse 21 when you get a chance in this verse. It talks about people like that. We don't, catch, we don't watch one episode a week. Do you, remember, do you remember watching TV, one episode of whatever it was, you know, NCIS, and you had to wait seven days till the next episode come on. Now we just download the whole series, watch it in one sitting. Yeah, that's true. You do that, don't you? Yeah. We do it at our house too. We don't uh, wait to get married to start a family anymore. 
just have the baby. doesn't matter if we're not married, if we have a partner. Political coups every, every other week, you know, new leader. We're not willing to wait for the, to do the right thing at the right time with, with the right processes. And in verse 34, near the end of here, verse 34, it says this. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. Now, I did say that David was writing to the people of God then. So the land was very important to them. But if we, if you and I this morning substitute that word land and put in there heaven or eternity, this is what it says. All right, it says here, wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will, he will inherit heaven when the wicked are cut off. You will see it. Uh, we, um, sorry, uh, when the wicked are cut off, you will see it. So that's telling us that the people that are patient, that are waiting for the Lord, that are doing His will, that are walking in His way, that are trusting in Him, they take the long view. And when that happens, when the Lord comes back, and He's coming back, brothers and sisters, He's coming back. And we stand before the Lord in glory. The wicked won't be there. The wicked won't be there. The long view. David, David saw the downfall of Saul, King Saul. He start, he saw it starting. He, he, he know, he, he could pinpoint the day that Saul's life started to decline. And when was that? First Samuel 13. You've got to have a read of it. When Saul couldn't wait, when Saul was impatient, couldn't wait for the priest Samuel to come and, 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 and make the sacrifice that was required. He was impatient. Brothers and sisters, that was the start of Saul's decline. And God is well aware of what we need. He's well aware of what we need today. And he's well aware of what we need tomorrow. And you remember you remember what David said in, in verse 25. He had never seen, never seen the righteous forsaken by God. So he's well aware of your needs. He will always, brothers and sisters, always meet our needs. He will not fail. Sometimes we're very fortunate. He also grants us our wants, but that's not often. I'd like to finish now by reading you the last two verses of Psalm 37. Verse 39, it says, The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is our stronghold in time of trouble. Never promise there'll be no trouble. He just promises he'll be there and he'll be strong for you and me. The Lord helps them that del- and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. If nothing else that you remember this, this morning, those two verses, they ought to be a blessing to you this morning. Amen.